Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of Christ Bible Church in the Twin Cities. I'm Pastor Levi Secord. It is the goal of Christ Bible Church to glorify God by bringing all of Christ into all of life. For that reason, I want you to know that we now offer a second podcast called The Worldview Minute. In it, I seek to demonstrate the universal importance of the Christian worldview by building the theological foundations of our faith and then applying them to all of life. The Worldview Minute aims to produce short, accessible episodes that equip the believer to declare that Jesus Christ is Lord and Lord over all of life. This podcast is available on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, and Google. Just search for The Worldview Minute and you can subscribe there. Now let us turn our minds and our hearts to the preaching of God's Word. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you speak to us in your Word. We ask that your Spirit, he would be here active among us, imparting life through your declared Word. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. So what is the purpose of having a local church like Christ Bible Church? And within that, what is the job of the elders and the pastors? How should a church like ours be organized? These are important questions. And how you answer those questions inevitably shapes the entire direction of a church. And through that, it impacts the lives of, lives of everyone who goes to that church and the community that church is in. And for a long time, little thought was given in American Christianity about what the Bible actually says about how a church should be organized. Churches often don't ask that question. But recently, there has been a resurgence of trying to think about how the Bible describes the church, and therefore how the church should be organized, and how she should be run. What a novel thought, right? Maybe we should look at what the Bible has to say. This movement has been led by groups like Nine Marks, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and it has seen many churches therefore return to a biblical form of governance. See, in the, in the boomer generation, we saw many churches adopt what could be best described as a CEO style of leadership of the church. The church was to bend its knee to the business world and to be run like a business. And predictably, many churches became more concerned with a target market. A church would be formed over reaching a specific type of people, just like you have a, a product that you want to reach a specific type of people. And lo and behold, everyone in the church looks Exactly uh, the same. Churches became concerned with market share. What share of the market does this church have in this setting? And therefore, what became paramount was the building and protecting of the brand of that church. You could have a church in a box where our churches could be literally unpacked from a box every week where a cool and hip church was formed with smoke and lights but often lacked character. Every megachurch across the country looked and acted the same. You could walk into a, a megachurch in California, in Chicago, in Florida, and they all were basically the same. This movement was led by churches like Saddleback or in Willow Creek and here more, more locally, Eagle Brook. A CEO style sees the preaching pastor as the CEO, as the head honcho. And then he has some board who he's kind of accountable to. But the head preacher becomes the brand, so there's often little that can be done to hem in a head preacher who is your brand. And so many abuses have been, come to light from this movement. 
This has even led to many churches acting in absurd and childish ways in order to increase their market share and make their brand more relevant. We now have entire series this summer we're seeing of church at the movies, as it were. And recently I saw that there were two pastors who stood up on Sunday morning dressed up as cartoon characters from Toy Story as they gave their sermon on Sunday morning. I want to be clear here, as a father of, of young children, there's nothing wrong with having a good time. There's nothing wrong with playing dress up with your kids and having a good time. But how can you expect the world to walk into a church service and take the three times holy God seriously when we won't? Why are so many professing Christians still infants in the faith? Because their pastors make them and keep them as infants. Because that is the character of their shepherds. And we have to be honest, this is a two-way street because these churches are packed and they're packed because people want a church experience like that. But you will see no hint of such worship of the Almighty God in the Bible. You will see no trite worship, no infantile services, no silly and damnable behavior. Think of these instances in the Bible where people approach God with irreverence in what happens to them. Uzzah touched the Ark of the Covenant and he dropped dead on the spot. He didn't dress up as Woody from Toy Story. The high priest would go into the presence of God in the temple, the Holy of Holies, under threat of death if they didn't do everything exactly right. So they would often have a rope tied to them because if they dropped dead, they had to be pulled out so no one else would go in. You think, well, Levi, that's the Old Testament. Well, there's the book of Acts. Ananias and Sapphira come to the church having told a lie and they drop dead in front of the congregation. And we think we can come to God, this God, like a joke. We think we can determine how the church should function and God has no say in it. There is nothing wrong with the business model for the business world. But the church is no business. She is selling no product she is a pillar of the truth in the household of God on earth. And we don't care about market trends and we don't consider what consumers want. We follow the edicts of God. We declare truth in season and out of season, we are told. And no matter whether or not we have a fancy bumper sticker or a coffee shop, the sign of a successful church is faithfulness to God. Everything else is just window dressing. 1 Peter 5, 1-5 tells us about the elders of the church and their relationship to the congregation. And so this is a bit strange because I'm, in essence, preaching to myself this morning a lot. The elders are instructed here to shepherd the flock. They are commanded to exercise oversight over the church. And it is here that we see what it means to be an elder or a pastor. To be a pastor is to be a shepherd. It's the same word, just translated differently. Throughout the New Testament, the words elder, pastor, overseer, or bishop, depending on your translation, are used interchangeably. All three of those terms refer to the same office or the same role within the local congregation. You'll see here in 1 Peter 5, the elders are to shepherd the flock and they are to exercise overseers. That means the elders are pastors, the elders are overseers. It's the, it's the same thing. We see this all throughout 
the, or all throughout the New Testament. The overseers, sorry, the elders oversee and they shepherd. The shepherds are elders and the elders are shepherds and the elders are overseers. It's, it's the same office, three different terms for it. And so here at Christ Bible Church, we have six elders. Myself, Ardell Kennedy, Phil Norris, Tim Lovestrand, Jim Ornell, and Jim Ballantyne. I also have the title of pastor as well, which is, and honestly, biblically speaking, redundant. But that term in the English basically denotes an elder who is also on staff. But I want to make this point clear to you, though I do the, the, share, the lion's share of the teaching and preaching at this church, I am of the same rank and authority as the other five elders. We all hold the same office. To put it plainly, there is no CEO of Christ Bible Church. There is a group of elders who are equals, who approach each other as equals, and who discuss every issue that needs to be discussed, and we come to some form of agreement, and we move forward. The only head of Christ Bible Church is Christ himself. No single man. There's a lot that goes into being a pastor. There's teaching, there's counseling, there's leading, there's overseeing, there's protecting, and much more. And Peter here gives us an overview of what does it mean to be an elder or a pastor, and also how the congregation should therefore respond to her elders. In other words, this, this passage is really practical stuff. Most of you sitting here today are not elders, but you should listen carefully because one day we're going to have to pick more elders and you're going to have to know what to look for. And one day, Lord willing, some of those elders are sitting right here. Some of you will be elders of this church at some point. And so you need to know what is expected of it. And the elders, myself included, should know what this text requires of us because this is what God requires of us. How to shepherd the flock, especially in times of persecution. We should note the terminology here of flock and, and shepherding comes right before the next passage where we'll end First Peter next week that there is also a lion out there seeking to devour people. The imagery here is clear. The shepherds are there, there's sheep, and there's a lion. The job of the shepherds is to stand between the sheep and the lion. So Peter begins this section by identifying himself as a fellow elder and a shepherd of the flock and as a partaker in the glories of Christ. This leads him to issue the command. Look at verses 2 through 3. As we will see here, the heart of of what it means to be a pastor or an elder. What are the heart attitudes of a pastor or an elder? Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. The heart of the shepherd begins with this, a willingness to do the job in eagerness. You will get the specifics of the job later, but a pastor should be someone who wants to do the job. There is some danger here is that sometimes individuals, especially young men, want to be a pastor for all the wrong reasons. They want people to listen to them. They want to be able to tell people what to do. They want to have a platform and they like to hear the sound of their own voice. 
Yet in looking over the requirements and responsibilities of a potential candidate, we should weigh these things carefully and soberly. This is not something you do to find your fulfillment in life or to find that platform. The job of a shepherd is primarily to have concern for his sheep. The job of a pastor is to walk into terrible situations again and again. We go into the difficult spots. We bring God's word. We bring his spirit. We bring hope. We bring correction. We bring rebuke wherever it is needed. And elders and pastors find themselves in an odd position. We are, or I guess I'm the the paid one on staff. My job is I am to go to the people who pay me and tell them the thing they don't want to hear. This is why it can't be run like a business. The customer is not always right. God is always right. We are called to bear the burdens of our congregation and we need to have a willingness and an eagerness to do this. You don't enter into the ministry half-hearted. And in this, pastors and elders are sometimes attacked, maligned, and gossiped about and called all kind of unjust things. I'd like to offer you a bit of advice. In our social media world, when you see a pastor or an elder uh, maligned online for something he allegedly did by some disgruntled former member, reserve your judgment until you've heard both sides of the story. If you don't want someone believing lies about you online from one side of the story, you shouldn't believe it about others. In some sense, to be an elder or a pastor is to live in a fishbowl, and then you need to enter into that fishbowl willingly to serve God by serving his people. To be an elder or a pastor is not a game we play. It is a job to shepherd the souls of people who will live forever. I've received many attacks as a pastor from unbelievers, angry emails, voicemails filled with expletives that I can't say on Sunday morning or really any day of the week. I even received an article once from an LGBTQ um, online source that quoted me and how they arranged their quotes. I was like, man, that guy's a jerk. Who would say all those things? I went back and listened to my sermon. I'm like, oh, they left out every caveat that I put in my sermon and only put the hard-hitting points. Yeah, there you go. But the deepest wounds pastors receive are not from unbelievers. It's from fellow Christians. Those who have sat in your house, the sheep you have cared for, who didn't like something you said or did, and then turn on you 100%. I don't say these things to garner sympathy because I signed up for this with my eyes wide open. It's my heart's desire to serve the sheep of Christ's fold. But I say this as a warning to not enter into the eldership with rose-colored glasses. It is not easy. People are messy. Christ's church is messy. People are sinful. Even elders and pastors are sinful. But being an elder is good work, and it is worthwhile work. I remember sitting in my pastoral practicum class in seminary, and our professor, he, he was standing up in the front, and he said, look to the guy to your left, and then look to the guy to your right, and he says, within five years, only one of you three is still going to be in ministry. One of you three will still be in ministry. I can look back at my friends and colleagues from seminary and say, yeah, he was about right. 
About 33% of us are still left doing ministry. Why? Because ministry tends to chew people up who enter it for all the wrong reasons. People who are not doing it with an eagerness and a calling from God. Being a pastor is not something you do just for a paycheck. You do it because you must. The next characteristic of the heart of an elder or a pastor, that the job is not done for selfish gain. What Peter mentions here is primarily money. One does not become a pastor to get rich. He does not become a pastor to put food on the table. The Bible makes it clear in many places that it is right in certain circumstances to pay an elder or a pastor for the job that he does. Money is not the problem. It is the love of money. Pastors are not by a general rule paid in such a way that they should become wealthy. And that's right. Pastors should not be seeking wealth through their job. There are exceptions to this in today's world. There are many a health and wealth preacher who you can turn on on the cable TV will tell you if you send them this amount of money and this check, then God will bless you as they fly around in their private jet. These are people who have entered the ministry for selfish gain. You should not listen to them. This is not why the pastorate exists. This is perhaps one of the most damaging things to the American church is the obvious opulence of these famous pastors who appear on TV. Unbelievers look at that and they say, if this is what Christianity is, I want nothing to do with it. This is obviously a scam. And it is. Those people are obviously scamming individuals. But God's judgment will not rest lightly on such pastors. To be a pastor is not to seek your own gain, whether that is money or power or influence. Some, some truly enter the ministry just because they want people to listen to them. But note how, past, or how Peter describes this job of an elder. We are to shepherd the flock of God, not the flock of Levi, not the flock of Joe Schmo. This is the flock of God Almighty. It is not mine, it is not the elders, it is not your flock. It is God's flock. The last characteristic of a shepherd's heart is that he is not domineering. We've probably all experienced working for someone who we could describe as a control freak. Someone who wants to micromanage everything you do at your job. And this actually makes you worse at your job because he or she is always trying to tell you what to do and you never actually get anything done. Those who think they have the right to tell others how to live are nothing more than petty tyrants and are the people who should be kept the furthest away from the levers of power. This is part of the flaw of our political system today. Only people who want to run for office run for office. People who want power are the exact people who should not have power. We have all lived under such people during the last several years. They felt no hesitation telling you how you should live, how you should breathe, where you can stand, which way you should walk down an aisle, how long to wash your hands, and when you can and cannot touch your face. People who like to micromanage you are people you shouldn't listen to. Pastors are not to have such a view of their power. Leaders in the kingdom of Christ are leaders to put the needs of others first. Pastors and elders have real authority in your life, but that authority comes from God. 
the authority I have in your life is not inherent to the greatness of Levi. It comes from God. And that means I can only use that authority for what God has allowed me to use it for. Some people get the power and say, now everyone has to listen to me. The Christian with power though, whether that be in the home, the state, or the workplace, should say, now that God has granted me some position of authority, I must do what God asks of me. Nothing more and nothing less. It is a call to humility. In other words, the pastor must not be a petty tyrant, a person who exerts his position to get whatever he wants. Such people are not only insecure, but they are destructive. Instead of being a dictator, elders are called to be examples to the flock. Our primary tool in shepherding you, besides the Word of God, but even this is rooted on the Word of God, is to be an example of godly living to you, coupled with faithful teaching. This does not mean that there aren't times as a pastor or an elder I will have to look people in the face and say, stop it, you can't do that. But it does mean that if I'm doing that and I am no example to you, then I've got no authority to tell you to stop. If someone desires to be a pastor or an elder just to tell others what to do without doing it themselves, then they are an unqualified candidate. In short, the heart of a pastor is to serve God by caring for his sheep. It's never about the elders. It's about God and his people. So that is the heart of an elder. What then is the job of an elder? In this passage, we see that there are three broad jobs for the pastor and the elders. The first is that they oversee the church. Peter calls it exercising oversight. What does that mean? To be an overseer in the Greek language was often used to describe an officer in the military or the leader of a guild or a political governor or leader. In basic sense, this is to be a leader or a ruler over something. To practice oversight is to govern or manage something. Pastors are called to first manage their own households well, for in order to manage the household of God well, they must first prove that they can manage their own house. So there's authority in this role, and thus a pastor is to lead the flock that God has entrusted you with. We as the elders of, of Christ Bible Church, we set the direction. We had a meeting this morning before the service. We plan the ministries of the church. We manage finances and make other decisions, including membership and baptism and even discipline. The Bible describes this as ruling over the congregation. And again, this is not to be a domineering presence, but leadership is needed. If one cannot manage things, if you cannot make tough decisions, then one cannot be an elder. In other words, if you're only worried about making sure everyone likes you, you're not qualified to be an elder. Second, the elders are to shepherd the flock. While shepherding carries with it the idea of leadership, this is more focused on the idea of caring for, protecting, and feeding the flock. This analogy is something Peter was painfully aware of. God describes himself as the shepherd of his people in Psalm 23. Christ describes himself in John 10 as the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. 
and that you can know a fake shepherd or a hired hand as those who flee when the attacker comes. But even more than this, at the end of the Gospel of John, Christ goes to Peter and he asks him three times, do you love me? And three times Peter says yes. And so Christ says in between each one of those, feed my sheep, tend my sheep, take care of my sheep. So when Peter looks at the elders of his time and then records it in Scripture for all elders after that to tell them to shepherd the flock, he knows that charge from the very lips of his Savior who he denied three times. What does it mean to be a shepherd? It is to be a pastor. It is to have that role of protecting the sheep. You will often hear in Christian circles that a guy either does or doesn't have a pastor's heart. More often than not, this means whether or not he's kind to people. But being a pastor in the biblical sense is far more than being nice. The Bible places an emphasis on the rod and the staff of the shepherd to correct the flock when it goes off course and to defend the flock. Jesus is that good shepherd who fends off the wolves. Consider the example from Christ's own ministry. In Mark 6, Jesus sees a crowd... And he says that this crowd is a, are sheep without a shepherd. And so he has compassion on them. And what does Jesus do in Mark 6 when the flock has no shepherd? Does he go around and shake everyone's hand? Does he go around and say nice things to all of them? No. Very next verse, he teaches them. He starts to teach them. To declare, thus says the Lord. To be a true shepherd is bound up in teaching the truth to the flock. To feed the flock on the Word of God. And so to have a shepherd's heart or a pastor's heart is to care for them, to teach them, and to protect them. Third, elders are to be that example to the flock. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul lists for us the qualifications of an overseer or an elder. Listen to these. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Just think of those last two verses here. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? You think about that in the stereotype for generations that the pastor's kids were always the worst kids. I wonder why our churches are so sick. We just ignore what God says. This is quite the list. But if we zoom out, This is not some separate category of Christian. This is not some category of super-Christians. That you can only be an elder if you are the top 1% of Christians. The virtues listed here, being above reproach, faithfulness in your marriage, sober-minded, not drunk, respectable, um, not violent, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, those are standard Christian virtues. Those are virtues all of you should be working towards. 
Those are virtues that should be common in the church. I want to say something very clearly here. Right? This is not a call to perfection. This is a look at the totality of an elder's life. Does this describe him in general? But these are basic Christian things. We should be able to say here that when you look at this, that this is why elders and pastors are to be examples to the flock. You should be able to look at Tim and Phil and Jim and Jim and Ardell and myself. You should be able to look at that and say, I want to follow their example. You should be able to point your children and your grandchildren and say, that's what a godly man looks like. See, as he is imitating Christ, as Paul says, imitate me. As I am imitating Christ, imitate me. Young men, you should look to your elders and your pastors and try in healthy ways to imitate them. Sometimes there's these superheroes in the faith and everyone starts to look and talk and speak just like them. Don't do that. Look at their character. Don't become a mini Levi. Got enough of me. But as I imitate Christ, imitate me. Young women, this is a little more difficult because elders and pastors are reserved for men. But you can, to an extent, do the same thing. You can look to your elders and see their character and in a feminine way imitate that. And then you can also look to your elders' wives and look to them. The job of the elders and the pastors is to oversee, to shepherd, and to be examples for the church. How then should the church respond to this shepherding from the elders? Look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God commands you to submit to your leaders. Peter has now in this letter commanded such submission to the state, the home, work, and the church. To the emperor, to husbands, to masters, and to elders. And just as I said in all of those other sermons, there are limits on the authority of the power of the emperor and of husbands and of masters. There is also limits upon the authority of the pastors and the elders. We are only to use our authority where God has given it. Our authority is not found within, but comes from God and is revealed to us in Scripture. The church, though, is to submit itself to God and to the elders that he has placed in authority. And again, I hasten to say This is never, ever a blind yes man. Always do whatever the pastor says without thinking. But as I said to some in my former church, if you can't give a baseline trust to your elders, a deference to them, if you can't respect them, then you probably need to find a church where you can. The job of the congregation is to follow the lead of the elders, to encourage them, to pray for them, to support them, and to measure their teaching and their conduct by the authority that is over them, that is God's word. We are not kings. And we are not always right. We are not God. So don't treat us as heroes, but do offer us respect that is beholden to our position. God has given you leaders, and he is working through them for your good. So trust God in that, and grant your leaders some deference. Peter then calls everyone, elder and congregant alike, to humility. 
This is the key to the Christian life in so many different levels. All right, you want to be a good neighbor? Be humble. Don't be full of yourself. People will generally like you if you're not full of yourself. Be a good neighbor. You want to be a good spouse? Don't think you're God's gift to marriage. Don't think you're so much better than your husband or your wife. Because by thinking that, you're probably wrong. Want to be a good church member? Be humble. Roll up your sleeves and get to work where the work is needed. Want to be a good worker or a good boss? Make your work about helping others and not finding fulfillment in climbing the ladder. You want to be a good elder and pastor? Then you need to know that being an elder or a pastor is not about you. It's about the flock. A church where the people and the elders are humble is one where the elders are not domineering, where they are not distant, but who care for the sheep. It is where the people are not cynical or fault-finding toward their elders, but joyfully submit to the leadership of the church as they measure it against the word. There is much power in such a fellowship. And I do want to say this very clearly. Though Christ's Bible church is far from perfect, and we will not be perfect until Christ returns, I believe the above describes our church. We have humble elders who are not domineering, who are not distant, who care for the sheep, and we have people who are not cynical fault finders, but who joyfully follow the leadership of the elders. And for that, as your pastor, I am daily grateful and thankful. That is not all from this passage. God promises a reward for our faithful conduct. Specifically, this reward is promised to faithful elders and pastors. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Like much of the Christian life, we are here reminded to live with our eyes fixed upon the return of Christ. He is the chief shepherd of the church. We are under shepherds. But if we pursue this job as an elder or a pastor in faithfulness, the reward is the crown of glory. The imagery here is clear. In athletic competitions in Rome, the winner would have a wreath or a crown of glory placed upon their head. Peter is saying, complete this job, finish it, and you will be rewarded with an eternal one that will never fade. I believe this can be applied to congregants as well. Pastors and Christians receive victorious crowns for completing their life in faithfulness. And this glory that they are partakers in is Christ's glory. They are his sheep and he is their shepherd. And he works through the means of flawed humans like me and Jim and Jim and Tim and Phil and Ardell. And through this we see the glory of God and the promise of the victory through Christ. And we get to partake in that hope. This glory is Christ's eternal kingdom which his people get because they are in him by grace alone, through faith alone. We really do face in this life opposition, trials, and a ferocious enemy, as we will see next week, who is hungry and seeking to devour you. But we are encouraged that God has given you shepherds and that the chief shepherd is coming back.
It all depends upon Christ, the slayer of the dragon, the one who stands between the lion and the sheep, the one who feeds and comforts his sheep, the one who laid down his life for the sheep. He is the example both to the elders and to the congregation. For him, we look to for instruction, for life, and for hope. And we wait for his appearing in glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us a word as to how your church should function. And we pause this morning to thank you for the grace you have given to Christ Bible Church. That you have raised up godly men to be elders. That you have brought in many more godly men and women and children to form this church. That you have blessed us in innumerable ways that I cannot list this morning. Lord, we stand here and we worship here together today as evidence of your power and your grace. And so, Lord, we ask without hesitation, keep giving us more grace. Protect us from the evil one. May your spirit impart life and fellowship and love between ourselves and one another, that we might bear one another's burdens and that we might complete this life in faithfulness. We ask all of this in hope because Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ is coming back. Amen.